Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH on what amounted to a nice day on this Friday. We, of course, are also on 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. For those of you who are customers of Puget Sound Energy, you're about to get a wake-up call on your bill. But don't ask Puget Sound Energy why. Because they're not allowed to tell you that your natural gas bill is going to be a little bit higher. And that is what's trending. What's trending at home. This is a rather remarkable story, although one I, again, I can't be too surprised by or too shocked by. Because over the next few months, according to King 5 TV, Puget Sound Energy is going to start to raise their natural gas prices. And as a result, of course, depending on how much you use, your bill is going to be higher. But you're not going to really understand why. It's just going to happen. You're just going to look at that bill and say, well, something's odd. Hey, honey, doesn't this seem higher than it was? It's higher now, right? What's going on? There's no, there's no explanation. Yeah, according to the law. Puget Sound Energy cannot tell their customers <laughs> that they're going to be paying more. According to documents released earlier this month, the rate hike comes out of a Climate Commitment Act, the one from 2021, which requires the biggest polluters to reduce their carbon emissions or to purchase allowances to cover them. And in this case, Puget Sound Energy is now required to pay $16.8 million, which is going to be passed down to the customers, which will lead to an average increase of about $3.71 per month. Here's Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. The Utilities Commission approved the rate hike, but it made it illegal for Puget Sound Energy to list that on people's bills. So people will see their rates go up, but they won't know why. And in fact, uh, the Utilities Commission has prohibited Puget Sound Energy from telling its customers. Now, why might that be? Why might they not want you to know? Because they don't want to be blamed for their environmental policies. They don't want to take any of the blame. They don't want to, number one, be seen as causing this additional pain for the folks who are struggling due to inflation. They are in a position where they don't want any kind of pushback the next time they come up with one of their policies. And number three, they've been lying this entire time, particularly around the carbon emissions, claiming that, oh, what gas prices aren't going up because of us is because of the greed. Is this because of the greed from Puget Sound Energy? This is a trend. Government is looking to hide the costs of its own policies from the public because of the political backlash. We are responsible for this because we allow them to do it. I think I was talking with Jim Walsh a couple weeks ago on this, the new RNC chairperson here in Washington. And I said at the time when we were talking about the increase in gas because of their climate change agenda, I said, I remember talking about this on air, possibly with you, Jim Walsh, when you guys were debating this and we warned folks. We warned folks that this was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. Well, guess what? Folks didn't listen. They didn't put enough pressure on lawmakers. Or they did put enough pressure on lawmakers to get their attention, but not enough to get them to change their minds. Because they feel like 
they're not going to be booted out of office. They feel comfortable in office. These are Democrats who are doing this. It's not Republicans. And when you are in certain parts of Washington state, you know that because you have a D next to your name, once you're in, you are in. You're not going anywhere. And the only times we can win some of these battles is by getting some of the more vulnerable Democrats to step up and say, okay, I'm going to listen to the people. But right now, there's not a whole lot of Democrats who feel vulnerable, and I can't blame them. We have emboldened them, enabled this kind of behavior. We get the government we deserve. And we deserve to get hit with these fees because we don't do enough collectively to change people's minds. And that's a truth. How many of you who are listening right now, again, regardless of the district you're in, stepped up and did just a little bit more, just a little bit more during the last election to ensure that five to ten more people voted for the right people, for the right candidates? And again, it doesn't mean that because you live in Linwood that you're only focused on Linwood issues. Maybe a lot of your friends live in Shoreline. Maybe your in-laws live in Conway. Maybe you've got a coworker that you're close with and they don't report you to HR for talking politics who lives in Issaquah. Did you get in their ears? Did you knock on your neighbor's doors in Maple Valley? The ones, again, you're comfortable talking politics with just to help. Or did you reach out to a campaign? And say, hey, is there anything I can do to help? I can't donate right now. I don't have the money. But I do have some extra time. What can I do to help? Or maybe you don't have any time, but you do have extra money. Did you do anything? Some of you, I hope you said yes, but I'm willing to bet the majority of you said no. And as a result, we lost again in Washington State. Some races we should not have lost. But we did because we didn't do enough. I'm going to take ownership of that. I think you should too. Even if there's only so much as individuals we can do, that's certainly true. But if all of us stepped up and did just a little bit more, and literally if everyone did just a little bit more, we would win these cases or these uh, campaigns, I should say. We would make the case and win these campaigns. But now you've got people who are stuck with increasing bills. And sure, does $3.71 as the average increase, is that going to make or break somebody? No. Not really. Until you think about the fact that We're getting nickeled and dimed on so many things, and all of a sudden it adds up, and then you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. This is an extra $1,200 a year. This is an extra $75 a month that I didn't expect to spend. Like at some point, it does start to catch up. If I could change companies, I would. At least look at a different company, but I don't have any other options. Yeah, we're stuck. We're screwed. And this is going to happen for everybody else, so it's not just going to be a Puget Sound Energy story. There was a piece in the Seattle Times, I want to say on maybe Monday, where power bills are going to go up. And it's basically the same issue. It's exactly the same issue. Where you essentially have these various changes that went into play that had to upgrade our structure or infrastructure around the new climate change initiatives and really just upkeeping with our hydroelectric dams. 
And when we use dams, obviously it creates some great, consistent, cheap power for us. However, when anything breaks down, all of a sudden you're in a position where, yeah, we're going to have to fix this rather quickly. And it is costly because we get about 80% or so of our electricity through dams and hydropower. And so it's not even just about maintaining the structures, the infrastructure, the maintenance. It's also sometimes about replacing or upgrading. And it gets expensive. It really does. And so as a result, I'm looking at the story right now, nearly one in five residents in Seattle, the metro area, the ones who uh, are, are also responsible for a lot of the decisions that have been made, they're going to have higher bills. And they say it's the steepest increases in energy costs in a decade. So we're talking about electricity and natural gas prices going up. And by the way, it's not just happening here. Natural gas prices have been increasing all across the United States. Why Why do you think that is? I mean, we know why in the sense of, well, I'm I'm turning on my AC a little bit more than I used to. But the reason why it is, is we don't do a good job of allowing for drilling locally or domestically. Again, because of the environmentalist agenda coming from the White House. So whether it's coming locally, whether it's coming from, you know, Jay Inslee or it's coming from the Biden White House, we're kind of screwed either way. Elections have consequences. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? You can't make this up. There's a story about a viral video leading to a viral firing out of Minneapolis and a Taylor Swift concert. You had a security guard. His name is Calvin Denker. He was doing security, but he was told that he has to be careful. And when you're walk when you're walking uh, around, when you're looking at folks to make sure everyone is being safe, you have to keep your back to the artist. And this is not just like a Taylor Swift thing. This is normal, right? We, we've for those of us, I guess, who have been to concerts, you always have security facing the crowd. That makes total sense because they have to be aware of what's going on. They have to be able to see it. And obviously, if they're paying close attention to the concert, they're not paying close attention to you. That's the trade-off. You get to hear great music, you can't look at the stage. So what he did, because apparently he is this diehard Taylor Swift fan and also someone who I guess likes to post a lot on social media, he wrote little notes to people in the audience. He explained to Fox News Digital why he did that. I explained that I handed out little pieces of paper to um, a couple of the audience members directly in front of me that basically said um, that I'm not allowed to have my phone out. And when Taylor Swift gets close to me, I would really appreciate it if they took a photo of me with Taylor Swift in the background. Uh, just so that I could have a memory from that night. Now, the exact language of the note was, Hi, I'm not allowed to use my phone at any point tonight. Can you please take a photo of me with Taylor Swift behind me and text it to my phone number? Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Now, I'd be very curious to find out if he gave this to certain people. (laughs) Meaning, was this really about getting dates? Did he only hand out the notes to women or to men? 
to the ones he found attractive. Because that would be a great point. If that wasn't his intent, he should think about doing that next time. Because that seems like a really good way to get someone's number. I mean, it is creepy. But hey, you never know. If you say, oh, thank you, and you give a little smiley or winky emoji, they'll respond and maybe hit up a conversation. They can get a little flirty. In any case, someone took a video of this. And they posted it on social media. It went viral. It caught the attention of his employer. And they ended up canning him. They put out a statement saying, we have a clear company policy to which our staff are expected to adhere. And for his part, Calvin Denker says, yeah, I only wanted the job because I wanted to get close to Swift. This guy sounds creepy, actually. I am a major Taylor Swift fan. So I actually found out about the security gig um, by talking to a security guard when I attended the 2018 Reputation Tour. (laughs) So he's a Swifty, it turns out. According to CBS News, he says even though he believes the company reacted harshly, he's got no blood with them. He said, ultimately, Taylor Swift was right behind me and I was aware of it. So I was having the time of my life. Now, just to give you a sense of either the power of TikTok or how pathetic people's lives are and what they view on TikTok, the video of him singing along with Taylor Swift in the background has over three million views. That makes me sad. Because I would like one of my videos to have over 3 million views. Actually, a few of my videos have more than a few million. So I'll give them that. I will say this. I would like to have all the Swifties purchase my book, What's Killing America. In fact, I may be lying here, but you never know. The entire book has a bunch of Easter eggs about Taylor Swift. And only a true Swiftie would pick up on it. And so as you're reading a chapter on illegal immigrants and their impact on local communities. Or maybe you're reading the chapter about the Salt Lake City myth with housing first. Maybe. And again, I could be lying, but maybe not. If you read closely, you'll start to see lyrics to some of my favorite Taylor Swift songs. So if you're a true Swifty, you should pre-order my book, What's Killing America. And no, I'm not making money off of any kind of a tomfoolery. Because I am acknowledging I might be lying. I'm lying. What's Killing America comes out a month from tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. But you can pre-order right now on Amazon and you would be doing me a solid. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Dumb, dumb alert. Well, there's a story out of Cairo 7 TV that Max found for me. He put it up on my little show sheet. Normally, I yell at him for putting stories up on my show sheet. But he knows me well enough at this point that any time. Anytime there is a story that has advice, I am all about it because usually the advice is wrong or just really, really, really obvious. And it offers none of us anything for having spent time reading it. And this one is actually pretty interesting to me. It's titled going away to college for the first time. Try these tips to combat loneliness. Now, I can already tell you, and this has nothing to do with it being Cairo 7 TV because I would probably say this anyway. Just based on the title, I guarantee you that every single tip that they offer will be either the most obvious thing you've ever heard of or 
be completely impractical for the people who are most likely to feel lonely on a college for the first year or maybe even the entire four years. Because what causes this kind of loneliness? I mean, go back to where you were at any point in your life. You're either uh, have experienced loneliness for a reason or not, right? There's something about your personality either pushes you towards this or not. And for the most part, the people who feel lonely are the introverts who don't feel comfortable meeting people, who don't feel comfortable going out of their way to say hello to someone, hang out in some of these early parties that go on where you can actually meet folks or to, you know, depending on if you're living on campus in a residence hall, they have, at least when I was in college, especially during my freshman year, they had a lot of planned events. So if you're already an introvert, and you're now at a college where you don't know anyone, you're likely not going to attend those parties. And I'm willing to bet that one of these tips is going to tell us, go to a party. So it says, for teens, going to college can be exciting and terrifying, especially if they're moving away from home. It's the first time many of them are on their own. As part of our back-to-school coverage, we have five tips to help those who are starting to feel lonely. They're already starting to feel lonely? When does the college hasn't even started yet? If you're going to feel lonely for being alone, wait till you're actually alone. My God. Ah, here's the <laughs> here's the first one. Try to go out and meet new people. Oh, thank you so much. That was a great tip. Are you lonely? Try to go meet people. You'll be less lonely. Thank you so much. That's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you know the people who are unwilling to do that are dealing with some sort of social anxiety. So perhaps you can offer a tip on how to get over that social anxiety or cope with that social anxiety. That, that might actually be a helpful tip. It says, oh, here's my favorite one already. It's only number two. Oh, it's not even number two. It's still part one. Second part of part one. Getting to know your roommates and other people who live on your dorm can help. Oh, really? So getting to know your roommate might help you feel less lonely? So getting to know the person who you're living with will make you feel less lonely? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. so. I'm so glad you told me that. In fact, this makes me want to go back to college and start everything all over again because I feel like I didn't do it right the first time. I didn't think about meeting new people or getting to know my roommate, Edgar, who I still talk to, by the way. Let's go to story tip number two. Try to get involved on campus and keep busy by joining a club, trying a new hobby, or signing up for extracurricular activities. You mean like joining a club or trying a new hobby? That's an extracurricular activity. And I don't even think they called extracurricular activities in college. So, again, is this not an obvious tip? You feel lonely, go join a club. It's You're basically telling people the first one, which is go out and meet new people. But now you're being more specific. This should still be part of tip number one. Tip number one was try to go out and meet new people. Trip, uh, tip number two is go join a club. So why don't you say, go out and meet new people, for example, by joining a club? Here's story number th- or tip number three that doesn't make any sense. Get to know yourself. Again, these are tips for how to avoid being lonely when going to college, living alone for the first time, or living without your parents for the first time. Get to know yourself. When you're in a new environment, it may give you a new sense of purpose to explore new things, or... You're getting to know yourself and you're realizing you're lonely, of which this tip does not help you at all. In fact, if anything, you're going to feel more lonely because as you're getting to know yourself, you're saying, you know what, self, 
I feel more uncomfortable being in a new spot where I don't know anyone than I thought I would. I feel way more lonely than I did before. And now I'm hyper-focused on my loneliness because Cairo 7 told me to get to know myself. And you know what? I don't like myself. I'm not a very good person. I'm going to drop out of school and join a circus. Tip number four, get help. So judgy, my God. Why don't you seek help? Many college campuses have counseling centers where you can talk to someone who can help you work through what you're feeling. Is this like a cheat, right? This feels like a cheat. You're feeling alone because you're not talking to people. So now they're basically saying, go talk to someone. (laughs) Except this one is someone who knows a thing or two about dealing with loneliness, unlike this Cairo 7 tip story. Tip number five, give yourself time. It can take a while to adjust to a new environment. Thank you so much. I did not know that. I actually thought it happened immediately. I'm so grateful that they gave me this tip. So obviously none of these tips are helpful. Not even a little bit. And it kind of feels like this was a story that they forced someone to write. If you feel lonely in college, all you have to realize is this. You will not feel lonely after a week. They tell you to go ahead and meet people, try to meet new people. You don't have to try. You've got classes. You live in a dorm. You're sharing bathrooms. You are surrounded by new people. You will meet them. And if it's not you making the first move to have a conversation, it will be them. And then all you have to do at that point is respond to them. And that's it. I just saved you some anxiety for those of you who are listening and are headed off to college or adults who are just also lonely. You're welcome. 1-800-465-8770 for your texts. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing up these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. As we've been talking about all this week and really for a while now, there's very clearly a rise in juvenile crime. And it's getting more violent. This week, a detective in Tacoma was shot in the shoulder. Two teenagers have been now accused of attempted murder. Joining me on the line to discuss is Henry Betts. Detective Betts is the union president there. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. I noticed that it took about 24 hours before Mayor Victoria Woodards actually put out a statement, statement about the shooting, but didn't really focus all that much on the detective. What did you make of her statement? Did it go far enough? Yeah, no. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's late, right? And uh, to as my knowledge, I don't think anyone from the city, the mayor, the council, the city manager, uh, even human resources have reached out to our detective or his wife to say, like, hey, how's it going? How are you? Do you need any help with, you know, any of the process or the billing or any of these things? Um, it's lip service. The little the little bit that they didn't acknowledge that detective is just lip service to start it out. The real focus of that whole statement is on the criminals. Well, and it um, wasn't even on the criminals directly, right? I mean, they're talking about the need for more programs for youth and whatnot. She doesn't call out the, the bad guys. 
No. And, and you know, if I if I sound like I'm a little uh, upset about it, it's because I am. And it's not just because it's our guys. This is what the whole community is feeling. We have all this crime, and a lot of it's juvenile crime, but we have this violence. And there's this huge disconnect from politicians who really want to focus on the rights of the criminals and protecting criminals and what can we do to get them out of jail faster and what can we do to help them. And no one is talking about the victims. And that's not just true with our guy. It's, it's true with our detective who is seriously injured. It's not just like a, a grazing wound or something. This is a, a serious injury. He's going to be on the road to recovery for a long time. And, and they don't even want to talk about the victims. That's true with everybody who's getting carjacked and having their Kia stolen, mm-hmm. the armed robberies, the shootings, the homicides. There's no focus on the victims. It's focusing on, all, you know, how to protect criminals and how to help criminals. And that frustration is felt by the community. And in this incident, it's felt by all of our members and all the law enforcement in Puget Sound. Well, she did what Mayor Bruce Harrell of Seattle did in response to a shooting, which is just go after guns. She writes in her statement, while this latest incident did not end in tragedy, gun violence is a terrible disease that has infected communities across the country. And it's a disease that's taken far too many innocent lives. So making it about guns and then not even making it about this particular shooting. She goes into the, well, innocent lives are being taken. Yeah, who's pulling the trigger? You don't hear from any local lawmaker who at least is in a position of power or a position to do something about the person who's responsible. Yes, it's it's totally missing the focus on the wrong area. If we want to focus on preventing crime and talking about education and poverty, family structure, things that we know can prevent the crime from occurring, those are great things to focus on, and we'll back any of those discussions. Like, absolutely, uh, preventing it is the key. But once a crime happens, this insistence on focusing on the criminals is wrong. When we have somebody break into a business and they cut their hand on the window and then we catch them down the block, if the cops come and all they want to do is say, well, you know, the the burglar looked like he's hungry. Do you have anything you can eat? And uh, he injured his hand on the glass. Maybe you should have safety glass in your business. And that focus, think about how upset you would be if the people doing the work focused on it like that, as our politicians and our leadership is doing. It's totally uh, missing the point here. It is, but you know what? We get the government we deserve, and isn't this the government we deserve right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that the press release is wordsmith totally as a political point. It's just totally political talking because that's what's winning. So if, if the politicians are winning with that mindset, they're going to continue it. That's what they care about, right, is getting reelected or elected to the next thing or the next thing. Why do we um, keep falling so for it? Why, winning, but why do the voters yeah. keep falling for it? They keep voting in basically the same people. If it's not the same literal people, it's people with the same viewpoints. No, you know, if I if I could answer that, I would be paid a lot more <laughs> and I would probably be in a, a different state by now. Right. <laughs> um, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I know that apathy until it's on your doorstep, apathy is killing us. This, this failure to get engaged in our own local government is causing all kinds of effects downstream. Um, people, you hear this discussion of the silent majority and people that are frustrated. Uh, that much is true from the, from the boots on the ground to very low level. All of our interactions with our community members through the law enforcement is people are very frustrated. But that frustration doesn't seem to be playing out in our elected processes. Maybe it'll start to, but... Um, I, I have very little faith that the politicians are going to change their tone until it's not the winning tone. How would you, and we're talking with Detective Henry Betts, he's speaking as the president of the Tacoma Police Officers Union. 
how, how would you characterize the crime situation in Tacoma? Because we've been getting what, what seems to be mixed messages on crime is down, but we're getting these stories almost every single day. Yeah, crime is rampant. And you can you can play the shell game a little bit. We could we could highlight one thing. I, I, it is true that our homicide numbers are not matching last year's numbers. Last year was the second record-breaking year in a row for homicides. And if we just highlight that one line on the statute, they are down. We've had tons of shootings that, um, you know, multiple people that were shot in the head that normally we would think they would pass away, and they don't. They've lived. Mm -hmm. The shooting numbers themselves are still skyrocket. The robberies, armed robberies, carjacking, this whole phenomenon of Kia boys doing uh, carjackings, armed robberies, and then going out and doing shootings and robberies in those stolen Kias, uh, that's rampant. This incident the other day, uh, Wednesday, with our detective, that was a joint operation between Auto Theft Task Force and some of our, uh, what used to be our narcotics unit. They went out, and within an hour, they recovered six stolens uh, in one little neighborhood, six stolen cars. They had two take off and run from them. They couldn't chase. They got away. They arrested another guy that was wanted for last week's homicide, and then this incident occurred, all within about less than a two-hour period. Uh, crime is rampant. It's out there. If we go look for it, we'll run into it, guaranteed. What's the staffing? Uh, um, I'd say we're barely treading water. We're still down about 10%, down about 30 officers, but we've lost so many, and then we're replacing them with younger officers that take a long time to get up to speed. I mean, it's it's like an 18-month turnaround between hire date and when you're actually on the street taking calls and helping and so staffing, we're, we're just staying kind of at the same stagnant place. We can't seem to get over the hump. And then you're losing a lot of senior, uh, you know, experienced officers. So, you know, we're behind the curve on that still. Do you think that given the current circumstances in the city, that that will change in any meaningful way? Do you think that folks are waiting to see what the council looks like after this next election? What, what, what do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to have challenges with staffing for for a continued little bit of time. I think there's a lot of efforts being made to try to correct that. But I look at things like Seattle as kind of a bellwether. And even if we take really good steps, and we've seen some competing agencies take really good steps to address staffing, Kent and Lakewood, um, getting back up to full staffing. But the difference maker seems to be where you have a supportive leadership structure. So a mayor, a city council other people who support law enforcement. And if we don't get that, I don't know that even these other levers we pull, like incentives for hiring or lateral incentives or other things like that, I don't know that they can overcome the amount that we're down without getting support. So I know Seattle does really well at some parts of, um, you know, contract things or money or different things like that, but they still have a staffing crisis. And you look at the leadership and, and that's the difference there. Kent and Lakewood, really support their cops. The mm-hmm. mayor's pro-cop, the council, they bring the cops in. Uh, I guarantee you that if this same incident would have occurred in Lakewood jurisdiction, the council and the mayor would have had statements out right away. They probably would have been at the hospital. There would have been all this pouring in of support uh, that we don't see. Well, know that we support you, and the folks listening right now are pretty unanimous, I think, in that, even when the city and the city council doesn't seem interested in telling people that publicly, which is just... Odd, but that is the world in which we live. Detective Henry Betts, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you, sir. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.
The Jason Rant Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Rantz. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rantz is in focus now. Jason Rantz, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. So I'm not going to pretend yet again. I feel like I've been starting segments like this uh, a lot, pretty often lately, where I tell you I have a crazy story about so-and-so and well, I guess I'm maybe sometimes a little bit surprised. I'm not necessarily shocked because that's the world that we now live. And I, again, I'm having that feeling because you had Sarah Palin, former governor of Alaska, of course, former vice presidential candidate, making comments on Newsmax that then get completely taken out of context intentionally. I think it's being done in bad faith by liberals in the media. In this case, Andrew McCabe, the former FBI chief, he's now a CNN analyst because he's a Democrat. And he always goes after Republicans. Uh, so let's play first the clip from Sarah Palin. Not a long clip either, about 14 seconds. That led to a lot of folks taking things out of context. So she was on with Eric Bowling. They were talking about the mugshot. They were talking about what's been going on with the indictments against Donald Trump. And this is what she said. Do, do you want us to be in civil war? Because that's what's going to happen. We're not going to keep putting up with this. And Eric, I like that you suggested that we need to get angry. We do need to rise up and take our country back. Now, of course, because she mentioned civil war, it's being taken as a call for civil war. Because she said, we're not going to keep putting up with this, right? We need to get angry. We need to rise up. We need to take our country back. Now, of course, she was not speaking in any sort of violent way, and there were no, you know, winks and a nod to go ahead and tear depart- uh, cities to, to shreds, burn them up, because that's what BLM radicals do. That's what Antifa radicals do. And she very clearly was not saying that. And, and also, just to give you a little bit more context, before that statement, she talked about how the Democrats have created this two-tier system of justice, right? They're going after Donald Trump, but they're not going after the Bidens or the Clintons. That they're clear, And I think that that is a fair response to what's been going on, which is, yeah, you're holding Donald Trump to a separate standard. You're going after him for political reasons. And her response to that was, to what end? What are you doing here? Do you want to create some kind of civil war between the two factions at this point in this country. So then Andrew McCabe, because he had a little bit of an in to go after her, takes full advantage. It's outrageous. Outrageous. I mean, to have uh, political leaders, and she is certainly one, use language that uh, validates and seems to... um, permit creates a permissive structure around this idea of political violence it's absolutely um irresponsible by the way what's irresponsible is your analysis you shameless partisan hack other than that i think you're a really good guy um he's very clearly clearly hamming it up his analysis because he knows that's what the audience wants to hear She wasn't trafficking in any kind of rhetoric that would inspire violence. She was saying something that I think actually is an important question to ask. Not because any kind of violence in response is necessary or appropriate. But because at some point, 
when you do things that are perceived to be this outrageous and tyrannical, you are going to get a reaction out of people. Now, you would hope that the reaction wouldn't be violent, but what have we seen in the past? It turns out it was all based on a lie around policing, but after George Floyd was killed, what happened? You saw an uprising. You saw violence all across the country. And by the way, it was folks like Andrew McCabe and other Democrats who didn't say a thing to condemn the violence. If anything, they justified it. They said, well, you know, at some point, you do have to understand that actions have consequences. And what are they supposed to do to get attention? They're fighting for what's right. This is kind of justified. That was the language that they used, almost exactly the language that they used. But that was certainly the intent of their analysis was to basically say the response that we're seeing right now in the streets, it's all warranted. Because they're fighting back against an unjust system, a white supremacist system, blah, 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 blah. That's what they said. They justified the violence when they weren't completely ignoring it. Only to now say to Sarah Palin that basically warning at some point people might react. You're saying, oh, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Now, because they don't like the cause, they're going after the people. They're going after the potential violence. And I do think violence is potential. I do. I wish I didn't, but I do. The difference between me and Andrew McCabe and everybody else over at CNN, I don't think violence is right in this case, and I didn't think violence was right in the BLM case. They can't take the same sort of position because they're not consistent. I am. And I know a lot of you are consistent. They're not consistent. They're okay, it seems like they're okay with some violence when it suits their political purposes, when they can earn some ratings off of it, or at least think that they can get some ratings off of it. And I'm on the side of, yeah, political violence is wrong. We have a lot of power at the ballot box. If only we were willing to use it. It's dangerous. She knows better. I don't know what her calculation is for saying things like this, whether it's just a kind of a desperate uh, shot at attention. Or Or, or she's trying to warn people as to what could happen. Because maybe she doesn't want to see the violence. You ever think of that? You ever think of that? That maybe she's just putting everybody on notice that, hey, if you guys continue to abuse the systems, there are going to be pushback. And she's 100% correct. And saying that, acknowledging that, believing that, doesn't mean you think the violence is justified. It simply means you fear that there will be violence. And Tucker and Trump got into that a little bit as well. I mean, does anyone out there not have a general fear that someone's going to try to kill Donald Trump? with the hatred that they have for him. He'll be on the campaign trail. He's going to be in spaces that are open. And the Secret Service and security can only do so much at these events. No one has even just a little bit of a a tiny bit of anxiety that something could happen to him because of the way people speak of him. It's pretty dishonest, I think. Because I have that fear. Relevance, who knows? Um, but it's, it's... But words matter. It, they do matter. And what she's proposing is essentially extortion. Yeah. 
What she's proposing is extortion. We'll get violent if you uh, don't drop charges. Shut up, Andrew McCabe. I love words matter. Yeah, I agree words matter. You call everyone you dislike a white supremacist or a fascist on the left. Words matter. You don't seem to care about that, though. Words matter, but, well, you know, it is what it is. I mean, at least I I am being honest about the, the white supremacists. You don't think that that creates resentment, anger, disgust? You don't think that that's going to at some point trigger someone? And I say this not because you shouldn't label things the way you see it. I say that because there's so much bad faith in the arguments that are being put out there. Like in in that clip against Sarah Palin, Andrew McCabe is speaking in bad faith. He knows what he just said is nonsense. He knows that it plays to the base of CNN, all 213 of them that watch. And so he's saying what he thinks they want to hear or what he thinks the anchors or the producers or the executives at CNN want to hear. And that, by the way, doesn't suggest that he's getting talking points from them. He just probably thinks that's what they want to hear. And he's doing that in bad faith. So please spare me the holier-than-thou words matter nonsense. Get off your soapbox. Don't tell me words matter when you don't even condemn folks on the left who use very similar, if not worse, language. Do we forget about Maxine Waters? Who told people to go up? in public, in restaurants, at gas stations, to go up to Trump cabinet members and administrators and harass them? You don't remember that? You didn't call it out? But words matter. When folks on the radical left were telling people while riots were underway to take to the streets and fight tooth and nail, you didn't think words matter then. Why do you think words matter now? You didn't say anything when Pramila Jayapal was saying, take to the streets, and then immediately after, almost immediately after, you had an assassination plot, thankfully thwarted, against Brett Kavanaugh. You didn't say anything about words mattering then. Weird. Do words matter or not? You see, it betrays, that line betrays what they believe about Sarah Palin, because if words matter, they would not be so dishonest and inconsistent but they don't think what Sarah Palin did there was all that bad they just think that they can use it to pretend that it was bad 1-800-465-8774 your text messages you are listening to the Jason Rancho